All right, good morning. How's everybody? Awesome. I'm glad you're that good. Um, so we're going to start a new series. David already said this, but I have it written down, so I have to repeat everything that I was planning to say. But uh, this is the power of Jesus' name. This is Tony Evans, so we'll talk about him in just a second. Uh, what we're going to do each week is, this is sort of our video discussion series. We've done a few of these. I hope you like these, and I hope you discuss, because if you don't, it'll be really awkward. Sort of like David asking for announcements. It's just going to be silence. So uh, hopefully you'll be able to discuss on some of these questions. Uh, we'll also look through some scripture, so whatever relevant scripture has to do with the name that we're talking through each week. And then hopefully, the point of this is, is that as, as we study the life and the character of Jesus, we better understand who he is and why he came to earth, okay? So that is, that's the goal of this. So let's start with an easy question. I'm going to write it on the board. Looks like we've got one marker. Ooh, a lot of pressure there. Um, give me some names for Jesus. What are some names that you know for Jesus? And if you've been asked to teach and you already know kind of the name you're teaching, Peter, next week, don't, don't do that one. Let some other people guess that. But what are some names of Jesus? What's the first name that comes to mind when you think of Jesus? That's the first name that comes to mind when I think of Jesus. He actually says in that series, it's not his last name, it's his title. It's kind of funny. Yeah. I didn't know that. That's good. Thank you. All right, Christ. What else? Messiah. Messiah. That's good. Redeemer. Okay. Redeemer. Emmanuel. Emmanuel. That's a good one. I like that one. Is it with an E or an I? I don't know. We're going to go with an I. Give me a few more. Slam. Slam. Lamb and what else? <laughs> I missed you again. Savior. Savior. Okay, very good. Also known as Slam. A couple more. When you pray to Jesus, how, how do you pray? Lord. Lord. That's a good one. And we could do this all day. I'll tell you, there's a few more that we'll, we'll be doing in this, in this lesson. So let's talk a little bit about Tony Evans. This is Tony and his family. This is the most recent photo I could find. This is maybe like 2004, I think. Um, and so you may not know Tony Evans. I'd say he's a, he's a big name. Uh, he's a big following. You might know his daughter better than him. Priscilla Shire is his daughter. Uh, his, his son, I didn't, I didn't put this together, which is silly, but uh, in the praise and worship world, his son's a, a huge name, Anthony Evans. Uh, he's pastor at an almost 10,000-member church in Dallas. It's called Oak Cliff Bible Fellowship. And he wrote a book in 2014 that's called The Power of God's Names. And so he looked at different names for God. This is the follow-up to that. So The Power of Jesus' Names actually came out like three months ago. Uh, and so then there's, of course, this DVD series and so on and so forth. It's a really good book, too, if you're into books. Um, and we've discussed this as we've gone through the whole Bible. Is, is that There is this sort of traditional thought of the Bible that there's the Old Testament, and that's about God, and then there's the New Testament, and that's about Jesus, and technically the Gospels, and then after that, well, we get the Holy Spirit. We've looked at the Trinity as a lesson um, a couple times recently, and hopefully what we've established in that is, is that that's not really how things work, okay? So the Trinity was established before creation, okay? The Trinity has always been, and Jesus, the second member of the Trinity, has always existed, okay? Now, Jesus, the baby in the manger, has not always existed, okay? And so that's a little complicated, but kind of keep in mind, it, it's a fallacy to think that it was just God the Father, and then he gave us Jesus, and then the Spirit kind of came to be with us. They've always existed from before time, okay? Um, 
And you could say that Jesus has been anticipated since the beginning of the Old Testament. Okay, so Jesus was a part of that story. Jesus, again, the second member of the Trinity, not the baby Jesus, okay? Um, but he's been, he's been uh, thought of and hoped for since the beginning of the Old Testament. He's mentioned many times in the Old Testament before he arrives on the scene in Bethlehem. Okay, do you agree with that? We've talked through that some as we talked about who is Christ and the life of Jesus and so on and so forth. Um, so he's got many names that reveal different aspects of his character, and we'll see those names in the Old Testament. Of course, there's many names that are used to describe Jesus, some of which are on the board uh, in the New Testament as well. What we're going to look at uh, over the next six weeks, it's maybe eight or nine different names. And so today we're going to do Emmanuel. So whoever said Emmanuel, I can't remember who it was. Yes, Mandy, great, great, great selection. Uh, Peter Snell, he's okay. He's going to do Alpha and Omega next week. That's a good one. Um, I love that he says Jesus doesn't Alpha, but he doesn't also Omega. That's a quote from the trailer if you watch it. Uh, Clint Crozier is going to do Lord and King. Clint Till, we're going to have Clint and Clint back to back. He's going to do Priest and Lamb. Alan Henry is going to do I Am and The Word. That's a good one. And then Eric Gentry will wrap up with Messiah and Savior. Uh, so if you don't know what Emmanuel means, it means God with us. You probably know that. This is a, a pretty common name for Jesus. I always think of Christmas when I think of the word Emmanuel. It's a great song. Um, and so I think as, as we focus though on the name of Emmanuel, this concept of God with us, it's important to remember where the name originated and, and the time in which this name came into, okay? Because I think that tells you a lot about the need for this name or the way this name would have spoken to the people that were hearing it, if that makes sense. Um, and that context was one of pain and despair and loss doubt, fear, and chaos. And so uh, it was actually used first in Isaiah 7, the name Emmanuel. And I didn't know the history of Isaiah 7, but that was a time where the kingdom of Judah was at war against two different kingdoms. Interestingly, they were at war with the kingdom of Israel, who they used to be together with, uh, and then also the kingdom of Syria. So not a great time. Okay, so the kingdom of Judah at war with two different neighboring uh, groups. Um, so then the word comes back in the New Testament in Matthew. And so I think it's maybe during the genealogy, uh, but he brings up this word Emmanuel with the birth of Jesus. And so he's indicating, of course, to the readers that this is the same Messiah, the same Emmanuel that was promised to us generations ago. And so there's a lot of power in that, I think. And so I think the context to keep in mind when we think of Emmanuel, God with us, is that this was a world that was in crisis. This was a people group that was struggling, that was in pain, that was both at war, and then when you think about Jesus' time, they're at war again. I mean, they're basically in slavery, okay, in captivity. And this is a world that needs God with them. And so aren't we still a world that's in crisis? And aren't we still a world that's hurting, that needs a God with us? And I think also, won't we always be? <laughs> um, so there's something I want to talk about that you may not want to talk about, um, and isn't that always tricky? I want to talk about this in communion. We're doing communion here in a sec, and I thank you, Eric. This is perfect timing. Um, and he's like, please don't mention me in this context. Eric's, yeah, the context here is pain and hurting. Uh, I want to talk about this in communion, but it's a sensitive topic, but I figured in a class setting, if we can't talk about it here, where can we talk about it? So when I think of crisis in our world, there's many things that come to mind, but one of them that happened this week was this, okay? And so I'll just say this on the front end. These are my opinions. Um, they may not be your opinions, okay? And I'm also not trying to make this a political thing, but I do think it has to do a lot with what we're talking about today. And so um, if you don't know who these people are, then this will be interesting for you. Um, but this is uh, Botham Jean, and uh, it's been a national talking point for the last year or so. 
Uh, if you aren't familiar, I'll give you kind of the Note version of it, and then we'll unpack it a little bit. Uh, but Botham was a 26-year-old accountant. He lived in Dallas. Like me, he attended Harding University. Okay. Um, some of you may have known him. I know some people that were, were there when he was there, and he would lead singing and things. Uh, Amber Geiger is a 30-year-old. Um, she was a white female police officer, 30 years old. Uh, she was off-duty at the time that this happened. Uh, she lived right underneath Botham's apartment, and uh, she walked in thinking it was hers. She saw Botham. She assumed he was a burglar, and she shot him dead. Uh, so at first, if you follow this case, there's a lot of outrage over it. I mean, simply put, if I'm in my room and someone walks in and shoots me, hardly seems fair, right? Seems pretty cut and dry. Um, uh, I know there's a lot here too, I'll just say this, that you may have family that are police officers, you may, you may be a police officer. This is not a criticism against police officers. For me, this is just hoping to reconcile with the situation, okay? Um, it, it seemed like she was gonna get off completely. So the police department seemed like kinda covered for it a little bit, was maybe not even going to charge her, and then it was going to be manslaughter, and then as it went on, uh, it became the charge was going to be murder, and uh, she was convicted this last week. The sentence was only 10 years, and so I guess depending on how you see the case, that sentence either seems fair and appropriate or it doesn't seem fair. It just, it just depends. And then you might be sitting there like, I don't know what's fair, I don't really know the case, and I trust you know, the legal system to make a good decision. Um, and I'm no expert, uh, but in my opinion, it doesn't really seem fair, it doesn't really seem adequate. Um, and it does seem in a situation like this that, that race, and then I think Amber's position as a white police officer uh, may have influenced the sentence, okay? And I think that feels unjust, and it doesn't feel right, and it doesn't sit well. Um, and I think regardless of how you feel, and you may feel very strongly the other direction, um, it's, it's hard not to feel like things are unjust, and that there's injustice in our world, and there's a, a oppression in our world. We have a news cycle that never stops. We have Twitter that... Um, and I think in the midst of this, and this is the point, is that God's presence can feel very distant when you're so focused on these things, okay? So what we're talking about today is, is God's presence and the degree to which he feels near to us. We talk about absence makes the heart grow fonder, but with God, that's not true. We need God's presence. We really, we eke out for God's presence, okay? And as we're talking about Emmanuel, God with us, we, we need his presence, um, and, and I think that in, in times like these, as we focus on these things, is we're, we're really forced to inhabit a world where God's presence doesn't feel near because of injustice or things like this. Uh, Jesus can seem distant, okay? But kind of keep in mind that when Emmanuel came into this world, he felt just as distant. God felt just as distant, okay? To uh, the kingdom of Judah that was having to fight its family, um, he felt distant. To the people of uh, Israel, the scattered people of Israel, when Jesus came in to this world, felt very distant. So he feels very distant today. I do want to talk still a little bit more about this um, because this story doesn't end with that. It doesn't end with a sentence that you might feel is unjust or you might feel is perfectly fine or you may not care. Um, because it, for me, it was one of the best stories in a long time was is that even though God it may have seemed distant in this circumstance, I think in Botham's family, uh, God was very present. Um, his family, they're strong Christians, originally from St. Lucia. Um, and if you haven't seen a video of this, it's Botham's younger brother. Uh, you need to watch it. This is Brant Jean. He's just 18. I think about who I was at 18 and what I would have been able to do uh, on, on a, in a legal, in a, in a court at 18, and I wouldn't have been able to do this. Um, 
But he took the stand after Geiger had been sentenced, and, and the context is fuller than just this, but there were people who were upset about the sentence, and he, he got up there, and uh, really emotional time, really, really collected again for 18. He's collected for 48, but um, he got up to say that he forgave her. He told her that he wanted the best for her, and he implored her to give her life to Christ. He said that would be the best thing for her. Um, so then he asked the judge if he could give uh, Amber, the woman who killed his brother, a hug. And uh, super emotional. I mean, everyone starts crying. The judge, you know, relents and lets, lets him. And um, it's just, just a real surreal moment. Um, and so to me, what I saw immediately was Jesus in this. I, I'm reminded of the cross and Jesus praying for the people that are crucifying him. I know it's not exactly the same, but it has that feeling. Um, and so in this moment of like, man, this is such a powerful thing, I then get on Twitter and I see that, well, that's not how everyone thinks about it. <laughs> so things are always complicated. And uh, so there have been critics of this and maybe feeling like his act of forgiveness, it flies in the face of this injustice that we talked about. And, uh, and I get that. And I think there's always, you know, multiple sides to the story. We won't unpack all that. But I will say this, is that if you find yourself frustrated that people can't accept the forgiveness and the love and the mercy in this moment, or if you find yourself frustrated that maybe the injustice is not being focused on enough, I don't think we're forced to pick one or the other. I don't think we're forced to pick sides. I think it's possible to champion grace and forgiveness and to also call for greater justice and equality. I don't think those two exist in necessary opposition. And I don't think we have to pick a side because I think we uh, worship a God that cares about both. He offers us forgiveness and grace even when we don't deserve it. And he also wants us to be about the business of justice because he is too. Um, So I would just say that when it comes to a story like this one, um, I hope that we find God. I hope we find the presence of God in, in really difficult circumstances. Um, I hope, though, we can see the brokenness and pain in a system that can contribute to tragedies like these and that we act in our communities to improve those things. I think, I think both can be true and both can be um, held at the same time. Okay. So, and I'm giving you no opportunity to discuss or comment on that. So, um, if you want to talk more about it, we can talk more about it later. We have a video we're going to watch, so we're going to do that now. This is going to be back on Emmanuel, and uh, then we'll have some discussion, and we'll, we'll get into this a little bit. Okay, so we got about 15 minutes. We'll do a little bit of discussion uh, on this, and we're going to start with this. Uh, well, we'll get to this. Uh, but Dr. Evans, he's teaching about the scriptural truth that Jesus is fully God and fully man. This is what theologians call the hypostatic union. We talked about this maybe two months ago. I did a lesson on what is Christ, and we talked about this. We've, we've talked about the Trinity recently. Uh, a lot of these topics have kind of come back and come back a few times. So you may be like, not over this topic, but you may be, yeah, I feel pretty good about this. But uh, a couple of verses that, that sort of tell this story is Colossians 1.15. He is the image, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Hebrews 1.3, he's the exact representation of God. And then John 1.14, the word that being Jesus, uh, became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. So this is a pretty open question, so we'll see what responses we get. But I guess as you think of this, and it's one of these things that it's hard to use an analogy for because it's only happened once, you know, it's not like something that we see very often. But I guess describe the effects of combining these two natures, uh, that of God and of, of man. What, it, what does that mean? 
you know it's a good discussion question when there's no response. It's great. I guess does the awareness of this, the awareness that uh, that Jesus is both God and man, um, does that impact your relationship daily? Is that something you think of daily? I think it's a really hard question. Um, <laughs> Obviously. I, yeah. Um, so I think when you think about like, well, what do you want in a savior? I think you want two things. You want a, you want a savior who is able, who's capable of saving you. And then you also want a savior who understands you, who who um, knows what you're going through and knows how bad you need saving. And so the, the incarnation answers both those questions. So Jesus is Jesus able? Yes, he's God. He created everything. Does he understand? Yes. He's he's um, I mean Hebrews says he's been tempted in every way that we have. Hmm. So at the incarnation you kinda get both these things. Um, and I guess how does that impact Jesus' relationship with you? It it should lead us to, to worship and, and live in awe of him. Of course, I'm so distracted and, you know, can't do that. But that that's, intellectually, that's where our, it, it, that should drive our hearts. I think there's several examples that you, you read about on CBC and Bloomberg and all these other businesses of CEOs of these major Fortune 500 companies that started in the middle and have been at the company for 30 years and they've done everything that, you know, every position that you have. Well, I think that that, that kind of closes a gap, hmm. whereas when you have complaints and you have problems, you're not talking to somebody that is just kind of, you know, always been in management and never, hmm. you know, carried the shovel, but they did They did your job, they did the job below yours, and so I think it kind of, it, not only on a personal level, like, you feel like this guy is, you know, or gal is humble and um, <coughs> hasn't always, you know, not a silver spoon, and but also has the power to fix, you know, really understand the problems that you have. I look at it as like relatability, right? You want to mm. with people and have relationships with people we can relate to. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the big part of the man, uh, right? I mean, we can talk and have a relationship with someone we can relate to. But it's all got, um, and, and it, that makes it a little bit more difficult. You know, you know the struggles he's been through, we can relate. It's perfect. Great. Really good analogy. Um, it's funny, you know, is you hire people and you bring someone into management that hasn't been with the organization before, everyone's like, well, why didn't you consider me for the role? <laughs> or why did, you know, why does he or she get to do this? And uh, um, I saw, you know, we're Ole Miss, because you're an Ole Miss guy. They hired someone and people were upset because they didn't think he was uh, the right person for the job. So I think you see that all the time. Politicians, one of the biggest things they try and convince you is that they have had your same experience. And so if, if you feel like they have, then you believe in them. Um, yeah, it's interesting. Let's, uh, let's shift into this. So, you know, one of the things, we talk about the tension of the gospel. We talk about, I mean, it's sort of with the Botham thing is part of why I brought this up is, is that you have there a tension between justice and what is right and what is holy and then forgiveness and love and mercy, which, which is really, that's the gospel, is how do you have a God that is perfectly holy and just be in the presence of sinful man? And that's, that's the whole point of all this. It's really the, the main conflict of the entire scriptures is that. Okay, and of course, what resolves that conflict? Well, Jesus resolves that conflict. So Emmanuel resolves that conflict. Um, I like the analogy that uh, Dr. Evans uses 
Um, although he says, I think it's an accident, his mayonnaise sandwich. I hope he's not just eating a sandwich of mayonnaise. He probably does pretty well. I think there's some meat on that sandwich, I hope. Um, but he uses uh, mayonnaise, which mayonnaise is funny because most of us have sort of a, what would you say? I don't know many people that love mayonnaise. Like, I, I will allow mayonnaise on things, but it's not like I'm going to just eat some mayonnaise. And then a lot of people really don't like mayonnaise, right? Are there anyone, is there anyone in here that hates mayonnaise? Yeah. It's sort of a gross thing. And as he described what made up mayonnaise, I was reminded of why it's gross. It's just kind of gross. If you've ever made mayonnaise, you're like, I don't know, I don't want to eat that anymore. But I did. He goes here. Yeah, sorry. I didn't mean to take. Tell everyone. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's okay. I should have gotten a photo. I wish I had it. I could just. Yeah, there's a guy at a Redbirds game eating like a big jar of mayonnaise, and uh, it was it was a gag because he goes here. Um, but I saw him. I was like, "You're the mayonnaise guy." <laughs> but uh, yeah, so it was a little thing. I, but it was actually he was eating like Greek yogurt, so I don't think it was much better. And it was like he was like it was warm. It was like gross. I don't think I would do that for my job. Um, but he uses this analogy, which I think is good. He calls Jesus the supernatural emulsifier. I've never heard that before. I think it's great. Um, and the point he's making is is that. Just like mayonnaise, you have these two agents that don't mix. We know oil and water don't mix, and it takes an egg to mix them. Humanity and God, we don't mix, okay? Uh, we, we do not belong in the same spot, in the same place, and uh, it's only through Jesus that we can uh, come together. Um, so I guess what is it that uh, keeps God and humanity separate to begin with? This is not a hard question. Sin, yes. This is a super easy question. Yeah, I had to throw that in there. Um, Here's a little bit harder kind of way of thinking of it. Uh, do you feel that the joining of God and humanity through Jesus gives us greater access to spiritual power? Um, is this something you think of often? This is a hard question, too. I, you know, I think of when I was first baptized. You know, I was 12. I was at a youth rally. I think Don McLaughlin was speaking, and I remember in that moment feeling like, like this sense of like spiritual power. I, I, you know, I don't know if that's what it was or wasn't, um, but I, I really distinctly, that's the one time I remember just like people would joke with their baptism, like I was ready to box Satan, you know, that, that kind of a feeling. Like I remember that sort of like sense of like power. And I, I don't know how you really describe that. I don't think that's like a biblically guaranteed thing, like a, like a burning in your belly or something. Like I don't think that's like a sign of, the spirit or something, but I do remember that. I, I feel like I, I, I sense a spiritual power uh, in worship, um, and I think that's Jesus. Is there any other examples of that that you have? The fact that, that God has joined with us through his Son. How does that speak to you? Yeah. yeah, I think like the Old Testament, I'm, I'm in the Old Testament right now, and you, you recognize that the, the people of Israel, as close as they were to God, they were always at several arm's lengths uh, from him. You know, so their, their intermediary or their emulsifier was their high priest, and that wasn't perfect, all right? Um, so it's interesting that we, we have that now. Certainly, as you kind of alluded to, it's something we should think of, you know, it's something that should kind of change the way we think and feel and... Uh, certainly the way we worship. Um, so I, I guess the takeaway for me in a lesson like this, we have a couple more discussion questions, is 
this of we have God with us that came into this world in a time of conflict and I think there's a lot of things that we're going through and so you may be sitting in your chair trying to listen but really mostly focused on other things other, other distractions other hardships that you're dealing with in life um, and I think the reminder here is that Jesus is with you is that we do have spiritual power we do have the creator of the universe with us um, and so whatever you're facing, struggling with, enduring, or exhausted from, God is with you. Uh, and so Jesus came that we could know God more fully. I mean, the fullest representation of God is through Jesus. And, and really what a gift that is. But also that we could experience his power more completely. He deals with our sins and our circumstances. Um, and as we talked about, he had to deal with both of those. So he had to deal with the pressure of sin. He had to deal with the pressure of circumstances of life that stress us out and that distract us. Uh, and he's been in that, and he's with us as we deal with those things. So he uses this analogy, and it's a little cheesy, uh, but he says that uh, Jesus is God's selfie. Um, and I think we're called to actually be Jesus's selfie, as it were, Jesus's image bearer, to reflect his character and his will and his attributes in our daily lives. I love this quote. He says, wear his name, bear his name, share his name, because there's no other name like his. His name is Emmanuel. I think that's great. Um, maybe a practical question uh, is, and largely this will be something that you just sort of reflect on, but um, I'd like for someone to share a specific way that you can better reflect Jesus this week. Um, and maybe conversely, uh, what are some ways that you typically struggle to reflect the image of Jesus? Because I don't know what you do every day. Um, but as a parent, as a coworker, as a boss, what are some things you could do better at? I think one of the things, when, when we read through like, the Gospels and how Jesus lived and how he loved people, a lot of his ministry was just meeting people where they were. And so I think, um, personally, I feel like I struggle with that because like, as a mom, like, I call my kids higher and call them higher sometimes we need to realize in our own community God needs us where we are and so there are times mm. when we need to meet people where they are and love them even in their mess. Mm. I like that. been dealing a lot lately with people uh, going through struggles and I, and I feel like uh, frustrated that I don't know what to do to fix it. Um, and maybe that's where the analogy falls apart because maybe Jesus did know how to fix it, <laughs> you know. Um, but oftentimes it's just I feel like well, I just listened and, you know, I just was sort of there. But maybe that's the point, you know. Maybe that is um, reflective of Christ to, to be there for people and be present. Um, and also not that we'll always have, like, a solution for what people are dealing with. Um, I'm oftentimes not present enough for my kids, you know, so not only am I not like helping them with their, their issues, I'm not even present enough to even be there for them, you know, which is really what people need largely is someone to be there to listen, to comfort, and not even necessarily to say anything. Person and I don't know how to fix it for them and 
and it makes you frustrated like oh that was like a big chunk of my morning I could have been doing something different and I think that trying to get out of that mindset like Monique said of trying to like call them higher or fix it for them or whatever just being there with them is probably the best use of our time at the end of the day This is the last question, so if you want to get something off your heart, this is the time. <laughs> um, I think we'll go ahead and I had a couple more questions, a couple more things, but I've learned this from Eric. It's always good when you don't get to everything, right? I don't know if that's right. Okay. <laughs> Maybe that just means we don't plan very well. I, I something like that. Um, I guess I would say this of the name Emmanuel. So hopefully you've kind of set with this idea that God is with us. I think the idea of the incarnation, we're only a few months out from uh, Christmas, so we'll, we'll get back into that, I'm sure, and uh, the time of Advent and all that that it means. Uh, but I don't think that Emmanuel is a name just to remember during Christmas as we sing carols and drink hot coffee or hot coffee or hot chocolate, whatever. Um, but I think Emmanuel is a name of comfort when times are at their worst, which is when? Well, kind of like always, and in reality, not always, but... I think there's always the ability relatively to feel like things are the worst. Um, now, I think that's the thing we should all focus on getting out of that way of thinking everything's always broken and, and terrible. But there are always going to be hardships and sickness and, and pain that we deal with and that God is with us in all those times. And that's why God came into this world, because there was a pain that could not be fixed without that. Um, I'm going to end with a quote from Dr. Evans I really like. and. Uh, I like this, this uh, visual of a shelf, and I'll, I'll read it for you. But Jesus took everything there was to know about God and put it on a shelf we could reach. I love that image. And I, I love kind of the, the thought of, you know, this is all like, I feel like faith and the ability to know God, it's on a shelf that we're tall enough to get to. And my kids, like, <laughs> it's hilarious watching George take a stool and have to put it over to like wash his hands or something, you know, whatever like little menial task it is, or to get snacks he's not supposed to get on his own, but he does anyway. The kid loves snacks. Um, but God has put all this on a shelf for us to reach, and whether that's just the general revelation of creation and an order of things, that it's just right there. I mean, it's, it's so easy to grab. Um, or it's, it's, it's the Bible and the scriptures and the awareness of the gospel. Like, it's right there. It's not up on the top shelf where we can't get to it or we need a ladder. It's right there. So Jesus took everything there was to know about God, and he put it on a shelf we could reach. Jesus is the complete revelation of God. That's why you can't bypass Jesus and get to God. You can't skip Jesus and have God. You can't deny Jesus and know God. Jesus is the only begotten Son, the only one. Jesus is God with us. He is Emmanuel. So... Thanks for your attention.